everyone and welcome back to Radio Tony Everyday Business. I have an amazing series of shows coming up for you today around real estate and I would love to introduce you to my gorgeous friend Amir Michelle who is a real estate agent working uh, in Australia currently and we are going to be talking about all of his wisdom and knowledge that he's gained around working in real estate. Now Amir started at a very young age to develop his skills and knowledge as he watched his parents renovate in uh, his childhood. Now, Amir, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for coming on and sharing with the audience your wisdom around real estate. Good morning. Good morning, Tony. Thank you so much. And honestly, Tony, you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> I am really looking forward to this series because I love real estate. I love talking about it. I've dabbled in it all of my life, but I've not had the opportunity to spend time with someone of Amir's character and depth of knowledge and understanding around real estate. So let's get into our story today. Amir, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about your intention for the next 10 shows, uh, sorry, nine shows, and some of the things we'll be talking about today? Over to you. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. Um, look, as a brief summary, I really love the part of real estate that deals with the financial freedom and the personal freedom. And I've used the real estate vehicle as an investor to buy me time. So everybody's a little bit different, but if financial freedom is important to you and if freedom in general is important to you, then you realize what a blessing it is to have more time in your day and time in your week. So what I want to cover in the next, as many shows as we can get, let's say nine or 10 is how to work towards financial freedom and to claim back 20 hours of each week. The biggest challenge or the biggest thing that I've come across so far from both clients or customers that are either getting started or expanding in the real estate investment world is they want to do it without having to take a job far away from home. Because when you're trying to save your de deposits, for your first property or your 15th property, the biggest hurdle is that, well, I just don't have the time now to give me time back later. So if I can um, impart a little bit of my experience and cover a few of those things that have been asked of me in the past, wow, I've been investing for 29 years now. So in that past little while. Wow. Um, is. <laughs> If you can do it without taking a job far away from home and without having to work with clients that you don't necessarily respect, which means that if you're being hired by a company and they're giving you extra shifts to work on a project you don't like, or if you're working for yourself and you have to say yes or no to clients and prospects, that freedom actually gives you the right to say, Hell no, <laughs> or to say <laughs> yes or no to jobs that, you know, I mean, if you're desperate for money, you're going to say yes to any project that comes along, any company that offers you a shift. But if you do have 
a bit of freedom, you'll be able to say no to the jobs you don't like and you can work with the clients that you do like without compromising what you're offering to them, whether it's a product or a service. If you're not stressed about the money thing, if you're not painted into a corner, to use a renovator's term, you, you don't have to compromise the service that you're offering and you don't have to compromise the product. Even if you're not perhaps an academic genius, so if the last thing you want to do is have to go back to get your master's, to get an MBA, uh, to go back to get even more advanced degrees or a specialist, you don't need to go back to become a specialist in whatever you're working in at the moment. And in a day where I guess there's a little bit of office politics, even though some of us are working from home, you no longer have to be the boss's pet. You don't have to be the boss's favorite. So a lot of people that say, look, you know, I'd love to invest in real estate, but the but is usually the not wanting to work the extra shift for a deposit, not wanting to work through the night, um, not wanting to desperately look for new jobs and new clients. And of course, not coming home exhausted every night because you still want to have the energy to socialize, to give back to your family. But what I have realized, and I have to do a little disclaimer here, Tony. Yes. Everything I say is from my own experience. So this is my own experience that I've gone through in Sydney. And some people will have different needs and different experiences to me. So this show isn't going to be something that teaches you specific things for your specific circumstance, but take this as just general advice coming from my history and what I've done. Um, but across the board, what I've seen in my own life is that the opportunities that we get, they grow from seeds. Think of it this way, Tony, um, big companies, really big successes these days, like the Netflix, the Amazon, even Uber, they grew from little concepts and little ideas first. They weren't something that just all of a sudden came as a big bucket of, uh, oh, here you go, here's an X amount to, to help you with your deposit. But many people these days, I don't want to sound like the uh, old grandfather saying, young people in my day. <laughs> um, but a lot of people now, and a lot of people, I guess, previously, try to harvest without planting the seeds. Um, I'm not much of a farmer, I do have to say. I have a green thumb, but that's about it. But many people try to harvest without planting seeds. Instead, treat your finances and treat your real estate investments the way that you would treat your professional clients, the way you treat your job. And that is put time into it, get better every year, keep on improving and keep on doing more than the basic minimum. Because so your is not written in stone. So, I mean, what you're saying is from little things, big things can grow, even with real estate. I think that's somebody else's advert. But yes, from, from little seeds, you can grow an investment portfolio. But yes, uh, I, I do like that... Um, superannuation ad that was uh, yes. <laughs> from little things big things grow oh, and yeah, that's absolutely. your experience Amir isn't it that's your experience that your future is not written in stone yeah absolutely so Tony it's um instead I treat my finances the same way as I treat my professional service if my future is not written in stone and I get to make those choices 
then technology these days, especially over the last 12 months, means that modern technology uses nicer fonts. <laughs> so you can really get a lot more done. And you can now control your future, whether it's real estate investing or spending your time the way that you choose to with a lot more control because you have the tools. Hmm. The thing is, most professionals, they waste the time on different courses that they do online. They waste their time trying to learn things, but these short courses don't monetize. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's always another course, another DIY that teaches you how to build a better fence, how to paint your house faster, uh, how to invest in rural New South Wales. Yes. But if those courses don't help you monetize, then all you're doing is spinning the wheels. And instead of that, spend your time on a system, a system that actually buys back your time. So most of us already have the tools. You just have to stop leaving them on the shelf to rust. Most of the tools that you already have in your arsenal, and I'm not talking specifically real estate. I'm talking about people who have had experience with other people. If you've worked in a job where you've worked in a team or where you've served customers face-to-face, -face, whether you've been answering things over the phone, working in a call center, emailing, you're already working customer to customer, person to person. The, the great experience you've had is the fact that you're now a great communicator. Let's face it, there will be a few people that live out on the farm and talk to one person a month. But the vast majority of people, I guess, watching your show, Tony, yes. are, the people that, are the people that work in either a metro area or at the very least use their internet to work in a non-agricultural way in a way that requires communication, that requires networking, that requires that social presence. So the fact that many professionals delay their real estate is because they think they need a specific skill in real estate, but that's not the reality. The reality is that you can use your communication skills right now. So start using your communication skill instead of just trying to come up with a larger deposit, instead of just trying to use your money to get into real estate start using your communication skills you can start right now with communication and you don't need for the conditions in real estate to be perfect so i mean what you're telling me is that from a very simple perspective you can get started in real estate and you have helped a number of customers do this and i want to you to tell the audience today about your customers from Oberon. Of course. It's one of my favourite topics. So I live in Sydney. Oberon's about three hours west of where I live. I'm on the, the beach side, so on the east coast of Australia, and Oberon is inland on the other side of the Blue Mountains. Um, I'm just thinking about Eyal and Orit. I came across this couple from Sydney uh, in December last year. And I guess the, the biggest thing that I saw was that they were both working professionals, very skilled, but they had a family that were um, working in their jobs more than the standard 38 hours a week. 
have you ever come across professionals that uh, don't quite just do the minimum? They they take work home, they work on their computer overnight, and and they were both doing that while raising a young family. Um, the biggest thing that I noticed was that they were already saving a deposit. So they they got to the stage when they met me in December, where they felt that they already had some information that were going to invest in property in Australia, and it was their first investment. So they wrote down their goals. We sat down together. They invited me to their house, obviously, for a coffee. Um, but the area research that they showed me on what they were going to put their saved up money towards, it didn't agree with the agent's projections. So they spoke to me about their goals, and we implemented a prepare segment. What do I mean by that? Part of real estate isn't just hit and hope. It's not just thinking, you know, Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane is always going to go up in price. So let's just invest in something and see how it goes. You do need to work out what you as a person or as a couple actually want out of the investment. Are you looking for passive income? Are you looking for growth? Are you looking for a quick income? Um, so when we sat down and we worked out what their goals were, and what they wanted to implement and what they were willing to implement, their numbers were a complete breakthrough because we analyzed the deal that they had on the table that they were about to invest in and the numbers didn't stack up anywhere near what they were thinking. The first stage really, sorry, Tony. Uh, so Amir, what you're saying is that this was um, an intelligent young couple that had done their research, but even with that, they still benefited from your knowledge and expertise in pointing out, okay, so your numbers don't match mine and here's a better way to invest. Is that what you're saying, Amir? I'm trying to be delicate by saying this, but the numbers they received yes. were from the person selling. The numbers they received were from the person trying to sell the property. Now, as you can imagine, they've got an interest in making their commission from the sale. So their numbers, and I'm putting this very delicately, yes, their numbers, their numbers were skewed to show the benefit without any of the risks, without mm. showing any of the comparables, and without explaining what could go wrong. Definitely. So the, it wasn't numbers were all wrong, it's that the numbers were showing half the story. Now, the first stage that Ayala Narit did was they changed the suburb they were looking at to research a suburb that had a higher income demographic. What does that mean? It means that the tenants or the people that would be buying the house in the future in the new suburb can afford to buy it. So the income in the suburb is important. That's called the demographic. The first property they purchased in Oberon, New South Wales, was to renovate with a subdivision. So everybody knows the renovation side. They can picture themselves, especially from the TV shows that give you the... Uh, yes. Um, what do they call that reality TV show? Uh, the all, or, or any of them. So or any, any of, of these reality TV shows. Think of it this way. They're really talent shows. If you're doing a construction or a renovation show, the show is a, a talent show to show what How you and your you team are. can do. Yeah. So if you, 
So if you think of these talent shows, they're great, but they don't necessarily teach what to do. They just show the talent of the presenter in their team. And sometimes they show the drama behind the scenes of what happens when things go wrong. Mm. But it's not really there to teach. It's not a, an educational program. Um, these shows are great for drama, but they and they're good for talent shows. But if you think of renovating and you think of subdivision, it means the property you're purchasing as an investment might be divided into several properties. You might, subject to council approval, be allowed to separate one block into two blocks. You might be able to have the existing house stay where it is, but when you put a, a fence or a border and the council allows you to, you might be allowed to build a second building on the same block. So there's, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. And unless you've got good advice from professionals, you don't realise if you're allowed to do it, whether the land is big enough, whether the area allows that type of subdivision or that type of work. So before you even think of construction, there's a lot of boxes to tick, a lot of checks to make. So what Egal and Rick did were the first property they renovated, but they purchased a property that was large enough to allow for subdivision. And the projected return from their investment, their deposit, was due to double their investment. I bet they were happy with that, Amir. They were. What came later was a bit of a surprise. In that three weeks into their renovation, and remember that they're working in Sydney, so they're paying somebody else to drive out or a local in Oberon to do the renovation without them having to, to quit their jobs and to, to live in Oberon while this is happening. Um, three weeks into the renovation, they received an offer that was higher than their conservative figures. So the new buyer actually offered to complete the subdivision, to complete all the work that needed to be done with council. And from 12 weeks between the purchase and the settlement, they profited over $10,000 a week. So remember, I'm just saying this from my own experience and from the experience of what I've seen with people who I've been helping in real estate. That may not work for you, but this is just one example that has worked. Obviously from this year, so that helps too. Um, but look, so $10,000 a week for 12 weeks, over $120,000 profit. So $10,000 a week is, uh, especially if you're still working, you don't need to quit your job. Great. That is, they were very... Um, they controlled it really via emails and, and phone calls. So now that you could do Zoom calls or video calls, um, you know, emails are great, but when you can see the photos of the before and after and make sure that the trades are doing their job, it makes it 10 times easier. So they actually got to release their deposit. When they purchased their house, they put a deposit against it. And when the new buyer came in three weeks later and paid them more than what they paid, um, they got their deposit back. So the new contract released their deposit plus they kept their profit and they manufactured time. Yes. What that means is that just three months with that extra $120,000, think of that in terms of how many hours you have to put in on your second shift or on your second job to cover $120,000 for that same year. And they did that in three months. That's an amazing result, Amir, but there's lots of those little opportunities across Australia uh, at the moment, and there will always be those opportunities, won't there, Amir? I think there will be. I can't predict the future, but I, 
I work from a position of research. So I don't like to speculate. I don't like to guess. What I do is I work out what the past has gone to give me a current, a present situation so that I can do things in a predictable way. And does that take some of the risk out of dabbling in real estate, so to speak, Amir? It's always better to go in with your eyes open. It's always better to look at the research before listening to the people who have a vested interest in selling something to you. So does it take away some of the risk? It does. It takes, some, it takes away some of the fear. It takes away some of the risk. It makes your results a little bit more predictable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anything will take all risk away. I don't think anything's going to predict all the outcomes. But the better prepared you are, the more you can act on surprises. So if something comes out of left field, if you already know a few things that you are expecting, then there's nothing that's really overwhelming. And I think just that fact that you can deal with overwhelm is a massive way to at least subtract some of the risks that's involved with any type of investing. Amir, you also have a pretty well-defined formula or system that you apply to your um, real estate as well. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? I don't want to get into everything that I do because um, that it's probably going to take three or four days yes. for me to explain bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, I'd love to. So there's um, there's six stages that I involve with any of my real estate journeys, whether it's investing, whether it's subdividing, whether it's renovating. Um, the easiest way to cover it, and obviously if you've been on my social media, you probably see the see. nine books or workbooks that we've covered. Um, so there's stages and sections that involve the renovating, the contract, um, even the social media support. Yes. So if you're trying to advertise or find a property on social media, I cover a little bit of that as well. Um, one thing that you might find useful, Tony, is I've put together a resource that has looked at a very recent summary of six states and two territories. So obviously Northern Territory and ACT, uh, Australian Capital Territory. The resource covers the six states and territories. And I've looked at the top 25 suburbs in each of these states and territories that give a very large difference between purchase price and selling price, between the average, um, average in the suburb, the median in the suburb, and the outlying um, the outlying results that are on the border. Yes. So both the lowest and the highest. And the highest. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at what a wide range some suburbs can have. So I've put together a little um, PDF of the 25 suburbs in six states and 25 suburbs in the two territories. Um, but yeah, it's really an eye opener. And Amir, this little resource that you've um, developed, how can people um, grab that from you? Well, if um, obviously the people that uh, are working with me as using me as a buyer's agent or using me as a selling agent, using me as a property manager, they're the type of people that would benefit from having these type of PDFs. 
Um, otherwise, it's just research and it doesn't really do anything. Part of what I do in the real estate course, in the real estate, part of what I do in the real estate industry is I help people in a do-it-yourself. I help people in a done-with-you deal. And I help people with a do-it-for-you deal. So in the done-for-you, I act for them to sell a property or buy a property or work as a, as a property manager. Yes. When you're doing yourself, if a, a customer wanted to, to join a do-it-yourself type program, then we do have a package that we put together the 25, um, the summary of the 25 suburbs as part of the DIY package. I didn't really want to, to do a, a big sales spiel here. That's not the purpose yes. of this, but customers that come in as a 3DB tree customer for do it yourself or done with you or done for you, they get the benefit of these um, reports uh, as well as workshops and other things that, again, uh, I don't want to really just sell my products here. No, that's... It is something It's useful when you're using the tool. And the purpose behind that is that um, people who are actively wanting to enter the real estate um, arena, uh, you've prepared these resources to help them pick the places where their investment is most likely to be a good investment. That's the essence, isn't it, Amir? Well, the essence is a real estate agent has resources that somebody without a real estate license doesn't have. So whether you're using a government data source, like the, the tax reports that come out of the suburbs that tell you what things were actually sold for, rather than what they were advertised for, uh, whether you've got a resource of what property was sold on what date and for how much, um, whether you're using the non-advertised list, so before before a property goes on sale, it's pre-market. If it's gone on for an auction, but the auction fails, it's now post-market. And of course right. you have on-market But there are things that are in pre-market that will never go on market. So there are properties that somebody hasn't even thought about selling. So really there's four categories. There's the off-market, pre-market, on-market and post-market. A lot of resources that are available to a real estate agent cover all four of those things. And sometimes that comes from us actually knocking next door on somebody who sold a property to find out if the next door neighbor is willing to sell. And real estate agents do that by dropping letterbox um, pamphlets to say, the house next to you just sold for 1.3 million. Would you consider selling yours? Um, there's a lot of things. And if, you've, uh, if you live in an area that has several real estate agents in it, you're probably familiar with these because chances are you've probably received from 12 and 50 <laughs> letters saying, would you consider selling your house? Would you consider buying? And uh, I mean, that's just advertising that you get from a lot of different real estate agents. But Amir, if, um, if you're in a suburb where that's happening, that's actually quite a good thing because it allows you to understand what's happening in your own suburb in terms of prices and what's, sell what's selling for. Um, I know that we've talked about this before, but we have lots of real estate agents that contact us all the time to say, do you want to sell your property? Do you want to sell your property? Well, no, not quite right now. Thank you very much. What a lovely idea, but no, we're staying put on our nice little acreage property. Um, but it, that is a good indicator if you're looking at investment around your own suburb, isn't it? 
It is. It is. Especially if you're selling in your own suburb. If you're looking to buy in your own suburb, then the things that are advertised are only the ones that are successful. So if you think of it this way, if somebody next door sold for 1.3 and somebody on the other side of you sold for 1 million, they probably wouldn't want to advertise the 1 million, especially if the two houses were the same size, with the same number of bedrooms, same number of bathrooms. So what you get in the mail is the examples they want to show you. You don't get the whole story. You only get the things that they want to advertise. Uh -huh. Makes sense, so doesn't it? That's where you need someone with expertise that goes, well, actually, that house uh, two, two streets over actually only sold for X rather than Y. So you need to, that's about getting a clearer, better, more accurate picture of the suburb that you're looking at, isn't it? It is. And to use one of the uh, British comedy shows, computer says no. <laughs> That's, I like that um, uh, accent that you just used. Um, Amir, that resource that we just spoke about, the top 25 subject reports in eight states and territories, is um, a resource that you use for the people that you work with. Do you have another resource that is helpful? Um, look, yes. Um... A lot of the things that we've said before with the pre-market, post-market, on-market and off-market, real estate agents get a listing that they see before it's actually advertised on the paid advertised pages like domain.com.au, realestate.com.au. Uh, in the US, they call it uh, MLS. Uh, in India, they call it 99 acres. So a lot of countries have these listings that don't show to everybody. Um, and then there's listings that do show to everybody. So when you Google what's for sale in my suburb, that'll show up for the people who paid. So if you're um, if you're an owner of the property and you want to sell and you've paid the real estate agent to advertise it on 99 acres or to advertise it through MLS or to advertise it through domain.com.au, you'll see these. But the resource that the uh, 3DB tree people get is more the behind the scenes stuff. The access that I get on emails that I get randomly and really, these are random, but the only ones I listen to are the ones that tick the boxes for what I'm looking for. Right. So, for example, if an investment property, and I'm thinking that the rental return should be above 8%, then I'll look at the rentals according to all the different emails that I've received, but narrow it down to something that has a rent average in that suburb that would be okay to buy at that price. So yeah, it makes it a lot easier. And it also means that the resource for 3DB tree people is to see things that aren't listed for everybody. Amir, does, you are also working internationally and I understand that the principles, whether you're in Australia or international, generally apply across the world. Is that a correct understanding? No, not at all. No, ah, no. I, I so good that. question. I almost got caught. I, it's a very good question, Tony. I actually almost got caught on this uh, nine years ago when I flew to Tasmania. So Tassie is part of Australia. It's one of the states in Australia. But the rules in New South Wales and the rules in Tasmania on how you write your contract and how you buy a property are very different. The good thing is that obviously I made the phone call before I spoke to 
the real estate agent to the conveyance and solicitor that was licensed in that area. So at the time, if I made an offer on a property that I inspected, so I went to Hobart, which is the capital of Tasmania, and I had a look at three or four different properties. But if I sent an email to those three properties, to the real estate agent that was advertising me, and let's say that each of the three properties was advertised for 500000 and I sent an email to all three saying, I'll offer you 400000 I'll offer you 400000 I'll offer you 400000 just to see if any one of them would be willing to take a massive price drop and say yes to me, then if they sent me back an email that accepted it, then I've actually just bought three properties for 1.2 million because I've committed in writing in Tasmania to 400,000, 400,000, 400,000. They said yes. So there was an acceptance from both sides. In New South Wales, it requires money to be transferred. It requires a signature from both sides. It requires solicitors. But that's not the same everywhere in Australia. And it's definitely not the same, same. everywhere in the world. Right. You have to be very careful. Make sure you're using the correct person who's licensed in the correct state, in the correct country, before you even make a written offer anywhere. So, yeah, it's not exactly the same everywhere around the world. The one thing that is the same, and I love this, 100% of people in the world that are wealthy own a property, at least one or more properties. Not 99.9 something, but 100% of wealthy people. So... Yes, people will always need a roof over their own head, whether it, they own their own property or an investment. That is universal. Apart from that, no, every little place is a little bit different. So reach out and ask the question before you commit to anything. Fantastic. Now, Amir, can you get into real estate with a tiny deposit versus a large deposit? Anything is possible. Um, Real estate is going to be a negotiation between two people. One person is selling, one person is buying. There are a few different circumstances, like if a government owns a property and they're advertising it for the public to buy, they're releasing land. Um, if an estate is advertising, if a self-managed super fund is advertising the property, um, there are some restrictions. So for example, a government uh, body that's releasing a property may not accept any negotiations. They might say, well, because we're a government department, we must take a 10% deposit and that's it, no negotiation. But the reality is that even if you have a small deposit to start with, a large majority of the properties that are for sale will allow some form of negotiation, whether it's to spread out the time for the payments or to take a smaller deposit or in some cases to use the vendor as a deposit. So they write oh. paperwork that's done through a lawyer, obviously. But yeah, there are circumstances where you can get in with a zero deposit or a low deposit or a smaller deposit than what's advertised. That can even happen on an auction as long as it's negotiated before the auction. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of times where you can get started even if you have a very low deposit. and. Even if you don't have time to go into lunchtime inspections, even if you're far away from where the property is, because the reality is that the licensed people that do inspections and provide a report with their insurance to make sure that they're doing their professional assessment, um, they don't need to be you. You're paying somebody who lives next to the property or at least who is willing to drive out to the property and do that. Uh, even if you've never painted a wall yourself, 
So we spoke a bit about renovation, Tony. Yes. It's not necessary to become an investor only after you've learned how to use power tools. It's not necessary to become an investor after you've started painting 10 or 20 units. Um, even if you've got young kids like myself, so I have four children, and I got into real estate when they were young, but it wasn't something that held me back at all. In fact, having kids was probably one of the drivers that got me to value my time more. So it's actually the opposite. So even if you have young kids that demand your full attention, it's actually a driver to buy an investment property rather than something that should hold you back. Um, or like I'm a property enthusiast. I'd probably say that from a real estate perspective, I'm a bit of a nutter. I love house hunting. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do which is one of the reasons I became a real estate real buyer's estate. agent rather than just selling property. So I'm happy to sell property. I'm happy to buy a property, but I love the hunt. I love looking at properties where I don't want to waste time and just go for a tour. But if I'm on the hunt and I'm actually looking for something specific and I'm ready to buy if the right opportunity is there, that excites me. Mm. I don't like shopping for the sake of shopping, but I love buying houses. So yeah, look, even if you don't, even if you're not like me, and you don't love house hunting on the weekends, you can still get into investment properties. I have to say, Amir, that I actually love looking at real estates. And even when um, we're not looking to buy, I actually love to go and have a sticky beak because I love the, uh, po the positive thought of, oh my goodness, what I could do to this place if it was mine. So I actually am a secretly go-to auctions and just look at property just because I like it. Um, so, I mean, there's a number of things that you look for in particular properties. What's the first one? I think from the, um, the brief that I normally get from somebody using me as a buyer's agent is to find a property that has a positive rental return. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you work out what the council is going to cost you, what the water rates are going to be, in a unit or an apartment or a strata complex, how much strata fees are going to be. And then you work out how much you could rent according to the reports, how much you could rent that property for. Once you subtract all the costs, you should make a profit on what you're buying. So almost at least 80% of the clients that approach me want a positive rental return from any investment property as the number one thing that I look for. Um, the reason they do that is really they, they want to permanently move their financial position to the positive. Mm -hmm. So 80% of my clients are coming in as investors, as investors rather than trying to buy their own house. So they're looking at that financial freedom, that um, ability to reduce the amount of dependence they have on their day job so that their income can come from another source from a rental property. So yeah, absolutely a positive rental income is, is important. Um, I guess the other thing that I, get asked or the other thing that I look for in a property is the ability to have access to properties before the rest of the market because I like competing but mm. I prefer to have that first stab where I get to see it before other people and I can make an offer because quite often I have the funds or the pre-approval for my customers before I even walk in for the first inspection which means I can move fast. I've done one last year where we did a 14-day settlement. That means that when they sign on the dotted line, they agree to sell at our price. 
we offered to be able to pay them in full within 14 days. And that was enough time for our lawyer, our conveyancer and their conveyancer to meet and exchange the titles. I believe that they actually said yes to us because we were able to finish in 14 days. And as it turned out, their bank and their solicitor took seven weeks to get it done from their <laughs> side. But I think they chose us because we were ready in 14 days. So just because it didn't happen that way, that offer made it a very strong offer. And having the access to the property before other people meant that that property just didn't go for auction. We made the offer before the auction date, the auction was cancelled and we bought it. Um, and I guess that's that's where I'm coming from. The It's not just the access to the property, it's being able to negotiate before anybody else, even those negotiations have started. That's very interesting, Amir, because that ability to negotiate before it's public puts you in a much better uh, place in buying that property because if you're there first, really willing and ready to go, and then that makes life easier for the person who's selling the property as well, doesn't it? It does. And you also don't get caught in the trap of being emotional because let's face it, you're going to make your biggest and best offer when you're negotiating before anybody else is there. That means that you're not going to get into the trap of overspending on a property because emotions got ahead of you. Uh -huh. You're going to do your own analysis of what the property is worth, what it's going to rent for later on. And then once you have all the information on your whiteboard and you've made a decision on how much profit you're thinking, you, you can make an offer that is going to be good for you, good for the seller, but not overinflated. Mm -hmm. So a big mistake a lot is that they try to make a low ball offer. That means that there's no way any sane person would accept your offer, but you figure, look, let's start low and they'll negotiate us up and then we'll negotiate down. And then that doesn't actually work. What happens no. is they go, right, we're not going to talk to that person. That person's not serious. Let's move on and talk to somebody else. So what I encourage you to do is work out what you can afford, work out what the property is worth and buy it at a reasonable price rather than trying to lowball offer into it. Um, we're in the information age. Yes. Almost everybody. So you're not going to come across somebody that did a whoopsie, that <laughs> accidentally got <laughs> the contract. That's just not going to happen. We, we are really in the information age. So if you're making a low-ball offer, you're hoping somebody's desperate and has no other offers. Um, I haven't seen it work myself, but again, this is just my personal experience. You never know. Um, I know when we went to buy this block of land, um, we had one of those situations where the owner had held the block for a very, very long time. It was uh, particularly um, his favorite block of all of his subdivision and he'd had it for a very long time. And he said, I want to meet you. And we stood on the block of land. He looked at me and said, I want to know what you want to do for this land. What, do you, what, do you, what are your intentions? And I told him and he said, okay, I'm happy to sell it to you. Give me an offer. So we put in a reasonable offer um, and he accepted it. But yes, it was about that negotiation, Amir, about that connection and what your intent for the land was. And it turned out to be a really good investment um, in our suburb, one would say, the last flat block of land in our suburb indeed. And we're very happy here. Wow. 
that negotiation and that that ability to um, talk to the people that are selling and see the intent and go, okay, I like you. I'm happy to sell my block of land to you. So I digress a little. Um, what else uh, are, around your network helps Amir? Well, one thing you said, Tony, was that your property was the last flat block in your area. And uh, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Yeah. You live close to the Gold Coast. Yes. And the Gold Coast in Australia is, is one of the most beautiful parts of the world. So if I was to not use any resources but my own, if I just decided that I'm going to invest in property and I'm going to put blinders on, yes. not pay attention to what's happening in the yep. world and just go on the internet, I wouldn't be able to have the resource that is available really which is when I do my research, I speak to 15,000 real estate agents in Australia. So my email database, the emails that I have, are 15,000 real estate agents that want to sell property. That's their full-time job. They're not Uber drivers and real estate drivers and real estate agents. Yeah. They are professionals in real estate. They're licensed. And internationally within my group i've got sixty thousand real estate agents that are part of the company that i work with so the fifteen thousand local agents that i'm negotiating to buy from and the sixty thousand agents that are in my network that i can send an email for advice or help or i can advertise my own products through that gives you a very large database that's much bigger than just yeah. a random search work out what's available on the Gold Coast in, in Australia. The Gold Coast is in Queensland, but think about all the different parts of Australia that are available, then think about all the different countries in the world, and then think about the cities and the towns and the villages that you want to buy in, but have never even heard about. Because if your brief is to buy something with a beautiful view, you can imagine how many of those there are. Mm. There's a place in Italy at the moment. Uh, you can the, the council at the moment is incentivizing renovations. So they want you to buy a little house. And as long as you start renovating within three to six months, they allow you to buy it at a heavily subsidized rate. Um, same with Spain. I think in Spain last week, they said there was one place where you can buy a property for under $100,000. As long as you start renovating in a short period of time and finish renovating within a short period of time, they're beautifying the suburb. So the local council has said, you know, we'll help you with this, we'll subtract taxes and all these incentives. It's not a once-off. Robert Kiyosaki spoke about this about 20 years ago in his book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, okay. and Cashflow Quadrant. I mean, this isn't a new thing. It's not something that's just been devised. But there's always been some monetized event that either helps you from a tax perspective or from a duties perspective or from a flat-out concession, a flat-out discount in price by the government or by the landowner that helps you buy something that you perhaps wouldn't have heard of if you weren't part of the network of real estate agents. Yeah. So, I mean, in just thinking about that concept of a, a house in Spain, that actually opens the world up for everyone, doesn't it? So they, someone who's wanting to start in real estate might not have thought of buying in a uh in another country but that's an amazing opportunity for someone on buying a low-priced product 
a low price property rather that will grow in value because you're going to renovate it and will increase in its value because you've renovated and it's going to be in a suburb that is going to be more beautiful and more attractive what a phenomenal idea and that's what you get from that interaction with all of your network across the world isn't it Amir? It is, but again, I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer here. So the example of Italy and Spain aren't ones that I would recommend buying in. So that's just Fair an enough. example to illustrate that yes. things you haven't heard of. Uh, please, please don't just go out and buy stuff that you see on the internet. No. But it is something that you need to know happening out there. Um, if, which, yes, which is why if you do the reason. I was going to say, that's why people need to be working with professionals like you, Amir, because you would go, okay, so that's a fantastic idea, but here is the issue with doing that. And you would be able to go, okay, this, 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 and this doesn't quite add up. So whilst it looks good and whilst it seems attractive, how about we consider this, this, or this based on their individual goals? Yes. Yes. Portugal. Let's have a look at Portugal. Portugal is a great example. There are some places in Portugal that have a phenomenal view, wonderful view in summer. And the minute the high seas come up and you get a winter breeze, then the waves are huge. Uh, tourist season finishes. And that view that you love from the photos is not there for the other six months of the year. Uh. So just like any other property that's advertised, the person advertising is going to show you the best part of the property not the rest so it's yes it's a case of buy beware it's also a case of having enough research to make your decision and if you're buying something in a an area that's only for tourists and is only open for three months a year mm -hmm. but those three months cover two years worth of mortgage for you maybe that suits and it comes down to not the general advice but the specific advice for your immediate and your long-term goals and that's why as you said to me before tony what's the first thing i look at the first thing is what does the client actually want to do why are they investing is it something that they want to use for their own during the three months of those holiday period is it something that they're looking for a financial income from are they hoping to get long-term growth capital growth are they hoping that the suburb will grow or are they thinking of manufacturing growth and adding to the value themselves by manufacturing something that increases the price like a subdivision like a new construction but coming back to the problem there everybody starts from wondering what happens if they don't have enough deposit and if they start getting frustrated with trying to save enough trying to accept all the, the jobs that show up just so they can save the deposit or they go off to a lot of different auctions and after three months to six months they just they want their weekends back they get disappointed in auction after auction and they've had enough of missing birthday parties and weddings because a lot of those things happen on weekends um that's generally where my at least 80 percent of my customers come to me they're looking from the investment point of view and they're just sick of either missing out on auctions or just forever trying to save a, a higher deposit by just getting more clients, more jobs, higher paying roles, and just coming home exhausted. Amir, did this, all of these um, ideas and all this learning that you've 
learnt over your many years in real estate. Did that lead to Where's the Bees Blueprint and the series that sits under Where's the Bees Blueprint? I love that. It's like a tongue twister. Where's the Bees Blueprint? It, yeah, that's um, some of my white hairs. I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> yeah, some of my white hairs came from that, um, the fact of trying to do things the hard way and going around and around in circles. And at the end of the day, we're all humans. We all have that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But if you were with me at a branch of the Commonwealth of, um, sorry, start again. Westpac. If, uh, if you were with me at the bank branch on Castle Ray Street, where I worked in Sydney in 2010, you would have guessed from our matching suits and the, the early morning meeting before the branch opened that it was a setting for a high power strategy at the bank. <laughs> but as Danny, sat, as Danny sits across me in her double-sized computer desk, and she looks over her wire-rimmed glasses. And I mean, think of Lucy Liu. She would have been the twin sister of Lucy Liu. Um, she said to me, Amir, your parents had no problem when they bought their investment property, but you are a single dad with young children and you started working here just last month. I'm sorry, but I'm the home finance manager for Sydney City. I can tell you that all the other lenders are going to look through your circumstances the same way. Doesn't the bank care that the tenants have been paying the mortgage for the last three years? I know you just lost your father, Amir, but you have to act as the executor of the will. And what the banks care about is that the working bees keep paying your mortgage. You might be forced to sell everything. And I still think of those words when um, when I test a suburb against the Where's the Bees blueprint. Yeah. Um, initially, I looked at my own suburb because I, I thought that I knew my own suburb and I could pick the right horse, so to speak. Excuse the Randwick reference there, Randwick Racehorse. Close to... I thought from looking at my own suburb that I'd be able to, to pick the right horse, so to speak. But the problem is that the, the rent return wasn't enough to cover the kind of mortgage payments that I could do with my small deposit. You see, the, the turning point was when, when my computer, my analysis told me that one town three hours out of Sydney mm -hmm. gave stronger rent returns, but in a much lower deposit and it had more high income earners than most inner city suburbs, I started working towards a solution with Danny. In the image of the working bees came back to me and the five properties that came out of that little town first showed promise because they achieved high rental returns, which were all positive rental returns. Some of them were double digit rental returns. When the world pandemic hit and COVID started to affect Sydney prices, the little town actually had a massive capital growth uplift because you see, they already had NBN. They already had high speed internet, even though they were three hours away from Sydney. So the people working in the town continued working. The factories there continued working. 
the the 5,000 jobs continued working there. And in a very small period of time from the beginning of the pandemic, the first property that we invested in, in that little town, was sold at a profit of 47%. But on top of that's on top of the strong income that's been coming in every year because it started off being a positive rental income property and it continued every year to just keep reducing it. And it continued reducing the mortgage. So what happened next? All the remaining four properties exchanged in a range of 50 to 150% profit, all working with developers. And most of those were Sydney-based developers that were developing outside of Sydney. So that made a big difference to, to me and the way that I analyzed things. But that all came from just sitting in the office and realizing that the banks didn't really care about yeah. my full-time role. Definitely. Um, Amir, you talk about some um, bad advice and that's around new apartment buildings in capital cities and that they'll always attract uh, tenants. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Sure. Um, so I've, I've heard a few people say this and it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way because you really need to know what you're doing. I've heard it say that new apartment buildings in capital cities will always attract tenants. So why, what makes that a challenge? I guess the challenge is that there are too many apartments in capital cities. The previous projections, so when the government allows building and approves construction. They work on projections. The previous projections didn't predict the effect of the health pandemic on, on tertiary students' accommodation. Uh, all the projections from last decade assumed that students would require the accommodation near the institution. So if it was a TAFE, the university, that's no longer the case. The thousands of Australian universities, uh, TAFEs and institutions that had student accommodation, those are now available and could possibly soon become available for rent for non-students. And all that takes is a vote by the body that's responsible for the university or the TAFE to vote to change the rules so that the accommodation isn't only for students. So uh -huh. if we have less international students coming to Australia, if we have Australian students working on their fast internet at home, if we change the, the way that courses are now delivered to an online system, that means that there's a lot of vacant places that haven't been advertised yet. But I live at Randwick in Sydney. So if you think of the University of New South Wales in Randwick, that operates 18 blocks 18 student accommodation blocks. Uh, for example, the University of New South Wales, UNSW Village, that has, for example, think of UNSW Village. That's an example of one of the 18 blocks that accommodates 1,021 people. That is going to stay the same for every capital. If the University of New South Wales decides to release the 1,021 spaces, to other tenants, not students, then demand and supply will be severely affected. And that'll affect other units. Because if you think of student accommodation as being a one bedroom or a two bedroom, and you take away other people that are looking for that type of accommodation, a lot of the units that are rented, even a two bedroom or a three bedroom, 
that is at the moment shared between three people, that might change into a much cheaper, much faster available, higher quality university accommodation. I see. Um, fantastic that that is a different way of thinking of it. There's another bit of bad advice that you um, noted as well, and it's around negative gearing. Yeah. What, what was the question? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, the idea that the taxman pays for your neg negative geared uh, new house and land package, that negative gearing is no longer the best way to go, is it, Amir? That's a good question, Tony. Um, we spoke a bit about government incentives. Mm. Everybody knows that or at least they should realize that the government can't tax you 100% of your income. You either lose money or tax because you can either lose the money to tax or lose money to the mortgage cost. If something is negative geared, that means when you subtract the costs of owning, repairing, maintaining the property, and you count that against the rent that you're receiving, you're losing money. If you're losing money and the government gives you an incentive, it might be at your current tax rate. It might be a 30% or 20%. Or even if you're on the 40% tax bracket, that still means you're paying the lion's share of the loss. So the only way a house and land package can make you money is if the net rental income, after all the incentives and after everything else is considered, is positive from day one. That's the only way that you're in a positive situation. So the tax man isn't going to pay all of your negative geared property. It's only going to be a small percentage of. Amelia, we're gonna finish off the show right there. Um, next week, we'll be back and we'll talk about some more um, in-depth information about real estate that I didn't want to finish on a negative and so I wanted to say that next week we'll be talking more about where to buy and why to buy in uh, real estate and Amir thank you so much for being on the show today thank you so much for sharing your wisdom about real estate and opening our eyes to the opportunities that are out there no matter what your circumstances no matter what your circumstances are Amir uh, and the team are always there to help you and he has done it himself from a perspective of not having much of a de uh, deposit and he's managed to build a real estate empire from that so we'll be back next week Amir thank you so much for coming on the show today um, it's been lovely to talk to you and we'll be back again next week thanks everyone bye for now mm -hmm.